listening to the CIPD podcast series. I'm Philippa Lamb and in this episode we'll be looking at the value of learning. What is the contribution that learning makes to organisations? How do we measure the effectiveness of learning and development activities and quantify their value? The CIPD is currently carrying out research into these questions and joining me today to debate the issues are Dalip Mukherjee, who runs the major international charity Christian Aid, and Jimmy Naudi, Head of Learning and Development at the same charity. I'll be asking them how learning and development is assessed and valued in their organisation. Also joining me is Garcia Williamson, Director of Talent Development for Hilton here in the UK and Ireland. I'll be asking her if her experiences in the private sector differ from Christian Aid's charity sector perspective. And Martin Sloman, Learning and Development Advisor at the CIPD, who's steering the CIPD research on the value of learning, will be telling me more about the project and the thinking behind it. You can find out more about the research by reading the notes that accompany this podcast at cipd.co.uk slash podcasts. But now, Martin, tell me, why is the CIPD so interested in the value of learning? Well, I've never known a project attract so much interest amongst our trainer members because we really need to look afresh at the issues surrounding value and learning in the organisation and in particular the value that learning brings. I'll make a couple of points first if I may. The first thing is value is always defined by the recipient. So it's the person who is the receiver that determines the value of anything, not the giver. My wife and I went to the south of France uh, on holiday. She organised all the holiday, so she said to me we ought to have an evening out, and it was my job to organise the evening out. Okay. So I very kindly went to a lot of trouble and took her to see, to, took her to see Nîmes play Toulouse at rugby for the evening. Now, for some uh-huh. unknown reason, that just was not all that well received. Didn't go down well. Didn't go down well at all. Um, <laughs> you amaze me, Martin. Yeah, I went to a lot of efforts, you know, for heaven's (laughs) sake. Um, But the point is straightforward, that it is the person who is the beneficiary who defines value. And in a modern organisation, we've got a lot of beneficiaries of learning. We've got senior managers who need it to run the organisation. We've got the individual learners. We've got line managers who want to um, uh, manage their staff effectively. So we've got to take a new approach. In the past, we've been very, very trainer-centred in our models. We've been using figures basically to justify our existence and prove how important we are. That's not the right way forward. That's why we commissioned the research, and our research is underlining the need for a fresh approach. So it's not all about the numbers, it's not all about ticking the budget boxes? It, it certainly isn't. It's about what is the benefit of learning for the organisation and for the individual. And it differs in different contexts, so it will differ from Christian Aid from Hilton Hotel. Well, let me put that question to Dalip. How do you define value at Christian Aid? The important thing for us at Christian Aid is to get all our staff to understand what is our essential purpose. For an organisation that is complex, working on issues of poverty and social justice... It was important after we developed a common strategy and an essential purpose that we had all our staff and key people who were going to promote this strategy to understand what this meant. So we created a learning and development department to accompany our cultural and organizational shift. Two things I think are important to me in Christianity. People join us because they believe in the objectives and the cause. We're here to make a difference to people who are poor and excluded in other countries. So if we can bring their energy, their passion, their sense of justice into this and see how they can use that, that's important. 
The second thing is we're not going to do this in an organization which has people in about 50 different countries to be part of one organization if there isn't a common sense of purpose and a common sense of belonging. So this learning and development strategy that helps people to feel we're part of one team, one organization with one purpose is essential for all of us to achieve our common goals. So, Jimmy, Dalip's obviously got a very clear vision of the objectives of Christian Aid and how he wants to bring everyone together in pursuit of those that common objective. But but you're the man charged with delivering that. And how do you do that? Our learning and development strategy is clearly embedded in our corporate strategy. And along other corporate goals, they've got six in all, they've got one objective, which is clearly called strengthening the organisation. And for us, it's incredibly important that we have an organisation that is fit for purpose to help us deliver on the extremely high aspirational goals that we have set for ourselves and ensuring that we have the people, right people, in the right place, doing the right thing um, in order to deliver the asks of our organisation. We have outside of Christian Aid a very impatient world um, who's clamouring for change in terms of relieving world poverty and uh, um, addressing the imbalance of social injustice. That demands of us to be more effective at what we do, more efficient, and deliver on our objectives in the most cost-effective and the most efficient manner. Um, Lots of people ask me, So what should trainers' priorities be within um, an organisation? I'd say, beg to differ slightly with Martin, that the the priorities are slightly different in the um, commercial world to the charity sector. I think we're both driving and working towards achieving corporate objectives. Um, Regardless of what they are. Exactly, and that is the bottom line. Unless we are addressing corporate objectives, unless we are understanding the business need, then trainers, learning and development professionals, whatever you want to call them, have no place in an organisation. And if there is one thing that a learning and development professional should do within their organisation, I think it is that they should effortlessly take time to understand what the needs of their organisation are. In practical day-to-day terms, how does learning work within Christian Aid? Um, There's, I I believe, a two-pronged approach. We've got uh, fundamental learning um, that we believe needs to be carried out throughout the organisation, an understanding of our culture, our purpose and our brand. Um, And that is common across the board, irrespective of role, whether you're a director or whether you're an administrator. It's important that everybody is clear about what we want to achieve, what we stand for, where, where our point of arrival is. Then the next very important part of our learning and development uh, uh, coordinators, as we call them, um, is building a consultancy relationship with our various business units. Yeah, their, their role is to identify what are the um, unique needs that individuals within specific functions have okay. in order for them to achieve those objectives. And it's down to us and the functional managers 
to prioritize year on year, month on month, what happens now, what can wait, what can be delivered in the future. So it's a very structured approach. Garcia, how do you do this at Hilton? Because clearly you are a completely different sort of organisation. You have commercial objectives. Do you approach this question of learning and assessing the value differently or is it much the same? Strangely enough, it is much the same. I think, you know, the principles of uh, structuring a good learning and development uh, initiative are are very similar between the different sectors. Um, uh, It resonates very much with me that, you know, if you don't have a very clear idea of what your corporate goals and corporate strategy is, then how can you ever develop a learning and development strategy that feeds into that? And it's a fairly linear approach that we use in Hilton and that we have our corporate strategy. We use the balanced scorecard to actually define the year-on-year objectives and the three- and five-year business plans. And it's a fairly straightforward uh process then to line up what we do in learning and development with that strategy. So, for instance, on our balanced scorecard, we have the customer, the the people, the quality and the profit elements. And we make sure that everything we do in learning and development actually feeds into one of those areas. And therefore, we're able to measure it and we're able to look at the metrics and define whether we're actually getting a return on investment and a return on expectation. And do you find that you do? Yes, generally speaking, we do. Um, Quite recently, we've been doing a lot of work on the whole area of service. I mean, we are a people business after our beds and buildings. You know, we rely so totally on the quality of the people that serve our, our, our customers and our guests. So it's very important that we look closely at what the guests are saying about our hotels and the service that they're receiving when they when they visit. So we take the results from that and then we do look at areas where we need to put more effort in in terms of learning and development and that's where we focus our activities. So this year we've introduced a new programme called Back to Basics um, which is literally looking at everything that uh, we do in terms of job skills and in terms of brand standards and service skills and making sure that we have training programmes that target those areas so that when our guests talk about uh, what it's like coming to visit a hotel, we know that we're delivering uh, against those expectations. Now, Hilton is by no means the only place that that you've been involved in, in delivering learning. In your experience, do you find there's an issue with management buy-in about learning and the value of learning? Have you come across a resistance to really putting the resources in, not just the money, but the time and the effort? And, and that they, you know, deep down question, yeah. The, yeah. you know, yes, whether so I've been in learning doing. development for a long time now. So, um, <laughs> yes, I mean, it's inevitable, isn't it, that uh, when times are hard, when there are business pressures, um, the, the training the first functions and sometimes the marketing budgets as well are the first things to go. Um, but it depends how you actually connect what you're doing with learning into the business, I think. Um, When you're talking about justifying activities that have happened in the past and trying to sort of prove that the training function is a worthwhile investment, then I think you've got some difficulties. If you look at um, value in training in terms of a benchmark for the future, then I think you can connect much more with your organisational strategy. Just listening to Gracia, in some ways your sector is much easier because you have a clear customer or a clear beneficiary, that the person who's coming in, as you said, for the beds and for the care. And I wish I had sometimes had that over here in, in Christian Aid because we have at least three customers we have to deal with or three beneficiaries. We've got to deal, on the one hand, how do we look after those people who give very generously, our supporter base. On the other hand, we can't use that money unless we have people out there 
who we call partners or organizations through whom we have to work uh, because we're not an operational agency. We work through others. And then we have a third thing at the end of it who we don't actually come into contact, the actual beneficiary, the people for whom we want to make a difference. But at the end of the day, we have to be able to speak out and stand up and take sides both at the local level but at the international level. And my staff colleagues have to understand the complexity of our kind of work. You're listening to the CIPD podcast series. It strikes me that both of you share a common problem, which is uh, uh, focused on the people you actually employ, the people who work for you, in the sense that they are more aspirational now than perhaps they would have been 20, 30 years ago. The pay packet isn't all they want. They want a sense of purpose, particularly, I would imagine, in the non-profit sector, but also in the private sector. I think, you know, that's certainly an issue. It's a recruitment and retention issue for everyone now. Does that impact on the sort of learning that you want to offer them and, in fact, the sort of learning that perhaps they demand from you. Careers are different now, aren't they, Gussie? We do a team member survey every year, so we're very lucky in that uh, our our employees actually tell us what's important to us, which which really helps. (laughs) It means we can, you know, as Martin was saying uh, earlier, the the value of learning depends on the people that receive it, and and they tell us that uh, they want careers in our sector, they really want to understand our products and our brands, um, and that definitely does help us direct uh, what we do so that we balance our learning and development initiatives between things that will protect our customers and our shareholders and keep our brand up there at the forefront in the hospitality industry. And are you seeing a benefit there in terms of recruitment and retention that you Absolutely. can offer that? Absolutely. I mean, I think in the hospitality industry in general, um, turnover sits at somewhere between 50 and 80 percent, depending where you are. It's, it's massive. Um, and uh, where we have our career development programmes, we've we brought the uh, turnover right down. Some of our programmes are sitting at 90 and 100% retention for people that are are actually looking at a career trajectory that's going to take them through the business. Martin, what else do we need to be thinking about here? Because you've been focusing on the research very hard. Okay, let me tell you what the research has done perhaps. Um, What we did was we went out to a number of organisations. We went out in fact to 13 organisations in total and we chose a very different set of organisations and we asked questions of the chief executive or the director and the head of learning, the chief learning officer, director of training and development. And the important thing is with these two people in each of the 12 or 13 organisations, we asked them exactly the same questions about how they perceive the importance of learning, but we insisted on seeing them at a different time. So we didn't allow them to meet together and prepare a corporate response. No collusion. No collusion, two separate interviews. What we found was they had quite a bit in common, but there were some quite important differences. And what the chief executives, the directors were telling us was providing learning is properly aligned up front, providing we're doing the right thing and it clearly meets the benefits of the business and the organisation and the learners, we don't want to disentangle the process and get those heads of training to report separately um, on their training activities. Now, that's quite a blow to what might be called the traditional model and that's because the traditional model of reporting on learning and training basically sees the trainer as a sort of central sun round which learner planets revolve. Um, and we've got to move away from that model and we've got to try for different sorts of measures. And Garcia Williamson has very helpfully picked this up already. What we're seeing is a, way, is a move away from return on investment, which sees training as a one-off investment, 
to a return on expectations. So what is Dilip's expectation and Dilip's senior managers and indeed his learners? What is their expectations from the sort of interventions that Jimmy is giving? And in Garcia's side, what is her chief executive expecting of her? Now, that's a much more forward-looking measure than just looking at a training programme after it's taken place and tried in some way to isolate the benefits. It's quite a complex problem. It's going to depend on the particular context, but we're sure that that is the way forward. And the University of Portsmouth, who've commissioned this research for us, are going to come up with a super research into practice report to tell us how to do it. Do we feel, everyone around the table, that the, 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 the things we've learned out of this discussion and, and what we'll learn out of that report, I think, in due course, does it apply across the board to organisations large and small? You all work for large organisations. Do you feel that the lessons can be, can be trickled right down to the, the smallest organisation? Is it the same for everyone? I, I think in the charity sector there's no problem with that because the, the issue is the same. What is it all about? I mean, how does the charity get its staff and its management to work in ways that we have a common purpose and everybody understands it and we deliver on that. So it's about finding your objectives, sorting out your training and making sure there's a match, a close match between the two, regardless well, of what you do. I my, uh, my colleagues in tra- learning and development to accompany the senior management to see how we can align staff needs and, and, and career aspirations with organisational needs and organisational directions. And if we can get these on the same pathway, we can make a great organisation because that's what, at the end of it, the day, all our organisations are people-centred and we have to deliver me to my supporters and outside to the partners, but you to your customers and your uh, stakeholders. I think that's got to be important, the people-centred approach that we value our staff, however big or small, because that's, at the end of the day, our strength. What do you think, Jimmy? Here, I, th- I really think that uh, we're really talking about a kind of customer-seller relationship. Bottom line is, um, if you cannot demonstrate to provide an efficient and effective service to your organisation, your organisation can beg the choice to go elsewhere. And uh, one of the key things that I, I keep alive as a debate with with my uh, my people within the organization is think about if the organization were to choose uh, or had the ability to choose to take their business elsewhere, who would they choose? Would they choose to come to the learning and development function within the organization or would they choose to go elsewhere? It's the big question. But, but Jimmy, answering that question depends upon Dilip's perceptions of the job you do rather bluntly than dumping a load of figures figures on his desk, which he's not going to be particularly interested in. So it's his perception of what's happening. And in Garcia's case, it's those general managers, those operational managers, do they perceive that you're giving value rather than you chucking a ton of figures after the event? Is that fair? Hopefully they do. But I do think that you need to have some compelling metrics Mm -hmm. because I don't think we can just go and and, and talk it up. Mm -hmm. I think we do need to have a few very focused measures that really prove that what we're doing is having an impact, in my case, on the bottom line and on the impact of the brand and in your case and the stakeholders and the people that you're trying to impact. But something you said earlier, Garcia, was also because you did an annual staff survey, I think Mm -hmm. you you Mm -hmm. meant that. And if you see people's 
uh, attitudes and behavior change or how they are perceived and valued. Uh, those are the kind of metrics that also I want to see. Because if my staff are entirely happy and I can see those measures of attitude and behavior, then I'm, I feel that the organization, and, he, and you want trends. I mean, you, you sort of, you, you don't want one year. Uh, but the, the whole thing is, just like you might have this staff who are short of funds in an organization and say, look, if I put 20,000 pounds into Jimmy's department for one more training program, I could save lives in Malawi with HIV and AIDS. I've got to show as the director that invest actually helps us raise another 40 million pounds and the 20 million pounds that we might spend in Malawi or 20,000 pounds we might spend there will make a greater difference and that's I think the message I've got to show to people that this helps the business but more importantly makes a difference where it matters where people are poor. I absolutely agree with you and I'm you know it's a mantra I use again and again what is the business case for asking for funds to develop any sort of training program and what is it going to deliver back into the business well that seems like oh Jimmy yeah, I final think, point I think sort of aligning yourself also as a learning and development pro- professional to the various business functions of the organization helps you um, maintain that close link so therefore increase the the validity and uh, the need or and purpose of your place within the organisation. Well, that seems like a sensible place to leave it. Thank you all very much indeed, a really interesting discussion. Now, the value of learning research we've been talking about today is due, as Martin said, to be published in November 2007, and it will include case material from Christian Aid as well as 12 other organisations. Look out for more details on this and all our other resources on learning and development on our website, that's capd.co.uk. Our next podcast will be looking at a roundup of all the top speakers and latest research from our annual conference and exhibition in Harrogate. Now, we hope to see as many of you as possible at the conference, which is on the 18th, 19th and 20th of September. In the meantime, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Let us know what you think at cipd.co.uk slash podcasts or members can join the debate in our discussion forum on this subject and that's available at cipd.co.uk slash helping people learn. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to the CIPD podcast series.